It's time for Rescuers, the show about people who change and save lives. Now, here's your host, Art Brooks. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of Rescuers Radio Show, heard live every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. uh, on uh, Faith Talk Radio 1360 and faithtalk1360.com. And then it goes into this stream as a podcast where you'll find all 54 of our shows right now. It grows every every week, doesn't it, Jeremy? Jeremy is uh, our chief producer in there, the commander of everything. So um, I'm very fortunate to have this guest in the uh, Rescuers uh, studio today, uh, Angela uh, Harrell, is how you pronounce it, yes, right? Yes, yeah, that's correct. Angela Harrell, who is the CEO and president of the 100 Club of Arizona, uh, a trusted resource for Arizona public safety Members and Angela, we're going to talk everything 100 Club. But first, I always like my guests to go back and tell us how you got here. What's your backstory? Oh boy, it's kind of a long story. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm from a farm in rural Minnesota, middle of nowhere, hog farm. Not really sexy, okay. Uh, didn't <laughs> decided to kind of leave that area and go come down here to Arizona, of course. But I'll tell you, when I was there. I grew up, like I said, hog farm, work, and this and that surrounding that um, type of activity. And you only need to pressure wash hog feces into a 90-degree corner one time to know that that's not your destiny. (laughs) So I left there, ended up at ASU, and came down here um, to go to school. Left for 10 years, took a position as a special agent uh, with the federal government, traveling to 45 different countries, and ultimately came back to Arizona, um, where my husband at the time was a police officer, paramedic, and firefighter with... um, with a couple different departments, but primarily DPS here on their rescue helicopter. Now, uh, unfortunately, during a rescue up in Sedona, he lost his life in the line of duty, and I was um, left to take care of our two kiddos. And that caused me to definitely kind of change my focus in life, and I wasn't going to go back to being a big, bad special agent and traveling all over the world when I've got two little kiddos and no backup. So I decided to stay here. And decided to help out the 100 Club as an ambassador in a couple different capacities. And then ultimately, they called me about five and a half years ago and said, hey, will you come run this show? And I said it would be the honor of my life. Awesome. Yeah. Well, um, and and I'm sorry about the loss. Thank you. But God being God led you right here, right? Right. And I get to meet you today, (laughs) all because of those kind of things. But no, it's all about making that proverbial lemonade. And we are doing that, and we've been able to do a lot of good out of the tragedy. So jump in a little bit with us on on how, what did you do as a special agent for the federal government, and you mm-hmm. traveled to all those countries? What were you, <laughs> what, 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 were, what was that walk like? What, what were, was your... What were your responsibilities? Well, I jokingly call it poor man's jet set because it's the U.S. government that's (laughs) taking you to all of these lovely places that are um, challenging places to visit. I never got to go to the really nice places. I only went to the places that you probably wouldn't pay to go to as a tourist. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, absolutely. But um, as a special agent with uh, the U.S. Department of State Diplomatic Security Service, I had the honor and privilege to do protection, executive protection or similar to Secret Service work uh, to our, our 
Secretary of State, so I worked with uh, Madeleine Albright, Colin Powell, and nice. Condoleezza Rice before I resigned, and also some pretty incredible other you know dignitaries like the Dalai Lama and Nelson Mandela. Just some amazing, amazing, good-hearted people with good intentions. So that was one piece of what I was doing, and the other piece was we did a visa and passport fraud here domestically, and then internationally, I served in um, Santiago, Chile. Spent some time in Haiti and then also in Mexico. And during those assignments, it is embassy security and facility protection. Wow. So yeah. that, that, that set the stage for you being at the 100 Club, though. <laughs> Ultimately, right? I mean, who would have ever known? But yeah. yes, it gave, me, uh, it gave me good perspective because the 100 Club is amazing, but it's not just that family support. It's the support of those that serve. And to be able to have the perspective as a spouse of a fallen officer, but also to have that experience as a law enforcement officer and the exposure to all, of, all things public safety it helps, I think, well-round um, me as a person in that role and be able to serve others with greater respect from the community. So uh, your husband at that time, Bruce, uh, died while he was in service, right? He was a DPS officer. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. He was a trooper medic assigned to the rescue helicopter. And his assignment was actually in Flagstaff, even though we lived down here in the valley at the time. But he would just commute back and forth because, you know, when you're working on the helicopter, it's a, and he was also a firefighter, like Moonlit is a firefighter. He had every seven-year-old's dream <laughs> job, okay? Every uniform you could possibly yeah. collect, he had it. Well, uh, with that type of role, you're only working six to eight days a month. So it was easy for us to live down here, me still work, and then him be able to just commute those few days, yeah. you know, up north. But um Again, he, um, he'd been in this role for some time and really, really loved everything that he did. And I never worried, not even for a second. I don't know why. I just didn't. Um, I trust those pilots. They're amazing. And I trust his training and experience in the department. But just one day, you know, he got a pretty routine call, a call of which he'd done 100 times. And he was, again, based in Flagstaff, but the call was in Sedona. And in Sedona, on the very west side of town, there's a Bear Mountain near the Enchantment Resort. And on Bear Mountain, there was a lost and uh, dehydrated couple that was kind of at the top of the mountain. And they got a little concerned because they were worried about the sun going down and not. And they got off trail mm. and they didn't know how to get back. So this is pretty routine. Like I said, maybe 100 times. And so they launched the helicopter and they went out to pick up the couple. And they landed on the side of the helicopter in what they call like a hot skid. So they weren't able to turn down the blades and park, right, and get out. They had to kind of stay in balance. And in this balancing act that they're doing, Bruce had left the helicopter with his helmet on and all of his gear. So he was able to communicate, you know, with the pilot in some capacity. It's still very loud. And it's 2.25 miles all the way up the side of Bear Mountain where they're doing this rescue. Well, because of the position of the couple, he happened to take the gentleman first. Again, he was closer to the helicopter. So they do this um, this maneuver where they you know, grab your elbow, put your hand behind their head, and you kind of push their head down. And then they both duck down, and then they kind of walk, hunched over a little bit, into the helicopter. So he loaded the gentleman in, went back for the female, and uh, same thing. He you know, took her by the elbow and then the back of the head, and they both kind of leaned over. Well, she had gotten tangled a cactus. And um, she had turned around and as did he and he stood up. And when he stood up, he was um, fatally struck by the helicopter rotor boom oh, just above no. his, um, his brow line. Oh my gosh. And um, 
it was uh, a little bit chaotic of a scene, and at least that's what my understanding was. And immediately the female jumped in the helicopter, and they went back down to um, kind of just regroup and try to get additional help, and Sedona Fire was involved, and obviously they had to report that there was a problem with one of their mm-hmm. officer or trooper medics. And they actually said they started to launch back up, and they got kind of like half, they left the ground, they got halfway back up, and the pilot was like, we can't do this, we can't do this, we had a blade strike. So a blade strike in a helicopter compromises the integrity mm-hmm. of the entire ship, so they turned around and landed, and um, yeah, so oh, they weren't boy. able to go back up and get him, but I knew or learned later that there was nothing they could have done regardless. So how much time after that incident did you turn to 100 Club? (laughs) Well, the 100 Club came to my house the next morning. That was my next question. So you got the check. I did, you know, the next morning. And and Bruce's accident happened in the fall of 2008. And I'm sure many of you, you and your listeners can relate to the fall of 2008 was when our economy was collapsing. In the tank. I mean, it just was collapsing. And, you know, I was working and we have two little kids and we had overextended ourselves like so many people, unfortunately, especially in that time. So for the former executive director to show up at my door and hand me a check for $15,000 was just really remarkable. And yes, the financial support was important, but more importantly, I was able to sit across the table from this person and I was able to see hope and inspiration because she too had lost her husband in the line of duty um, many years before. So it, the compelling part is just how you can be inspirational to someone. Money is wonderful and super helpful. Don't get me wrong, but so it's so much more important to, to build those long-term relationships. So the original question was, you know, when did I start, you know, getting involved I said, I'm like, I'm ready to go. Like, I want to help. I want to give back. And they're like, well, just take a minute, you know. And I don't even know what day it is. I couldn't remember what time it was or anything. Oh. And fast forward, it had been about a year or so. And I started um, doing some ambassadorial work and volunteer work and trying to help in whatever capacity they would allow me. So I've been involved in some capacity now for just over 10 years. My goodness. Are there 100 clubs all over the country? So there are. But they really don't link together in any capacity. But almost every state in the nation has some presence of an organization that supports or backs those that wear the badge. And yes, many 100 clubs, but it originated out of Detroit. Mm. And um, there are three very large 100 clubs in the nation, Arizona being the largest geographically. And also we have a pretty significant mission here in the state. The 100 Club of Chicago is also very successful. They cover Cook and Lake County. And then the 100 Club of Houston is definitely the most successful, at least from that financial perspective and what they're able to do for the families in that immediate Houston area. So there are others. I even learned of a 200 Club. Same story. Number 200. Uh, they're in New Jersey. <laughs> but, but everybody else goes by the 100 Club. Of course. <laughs> I always find it entertaining. Of but. course. So, and this this uh, in Arizona is 50 years old, right? Yeah, in excess of 50 years. Yeah. We started here in 1968. Yeah. So, um, that check, that that miracle check, and, um, you know, you just went through this experience just last week, I'm oh, sorry to yes. say, mm-hmm. with, uh, with Chandler Police Officer Christopher Farrer. Mm-hmm. And um, so, within 24 hours, right? 
that's our goal, 24 to 48 hours or whenever it's appropriate. Yeah. And that's always the challenge. It's different with every family and everything that they're going through. Um, I think it was about 48 hours when I was finally able to get with the family, um, usually working with the liaison officers to um, take that moment to present the funds. And the funds that we present, that $15,000, is just the beginning. It is just the beginning of a long-term relationship that we're going to have with his three adult children and then, of course, his parents as well. And those funds, again, they are for that immediate financial relief. But we have so many other things that we do as part of our survivors program. So we're going to make sure that all of their emergency documents are up to date, their wills, their trusts. We're going to make sure that if there's an education concern, we're going to take care of that. We're going to make sure that they have access to ongoing resources for as long as they need them. And if, as far as you're talking about education, are you talking scholarships? Are you talking underwriting of some kind? So whatever their financial needs might be at the time, we can absolutely help with those. There are programs out there through the state of Arizona that also help with the assistance for continuing education beyond high school, which is a beautiful thing. But, I mean, it doesn't matter if... um, you know, if they need assistance with their car payments or they didn't get bereavement pay, for example, we're going to co- we're covering all that. Yeah. So, as I said, it's just the check we give is what we do for every single person, and then they can come back to us for whatever their needs are. And like I said, there's very little, very few limits on that. Money. So they're so forever, uh, forever part, part of the family. Part yes. of the family. Yeah. So that that is just so because um, at the beginning you're dealing with a lot of emotions, a lot of feelings. And you have to wade through and understand all of those, which, sorry to say, but having gone through that, mm-hmm. you have great understanding. Yeah, it's it's very challenging. And family dynamics in a, on a good day, on a reunion or whatever the case is, are always hard to juggle. But now you take an incredible tragedy that has sprung upon people. And I often say that you take someone's normal quirk or normal character trait that's maybe hard to deal with, and you take that times 10. And because that they're just so overwhelmed and that emotion really does take hold and people grasp at different things. Um, You know, this particular family, they're pretty they're they're good and they are still trying to figure out what their needs are, et cetera. But we took the opportunity. We flew in all their family members um, and all of their really close friends. And we took care of all of their flights and their car rentals and the hotel rooms and all of those things that it's just part of that package. Sure. And again, like I said, that $15,000, I mean, people are like, well, that's a lot. But really, you know, with every year that goes by, that money doesn't have the same value it once did. But there are all of these other facets where we can provide support. So when you say ongoing education, are you talking to families of uh, living first responders to prepare them So, yes. So um, with the 100 Club, we have an entire scholarship program. And this scholarship program is available to any child of a first responder serving in Arizona. Okay. So with that said, they can apply and they don't have to have been injured or lose a family member or anything like that. We do scholarships every year. We're actually really excited this week. Actually, hopefully everyone gets their notice by tomorrow, but we're giving away $320,000 in scholarships and most of them, it's 67 scholarships. So with most of them are $5,000 each with a handful that are 10,000. So pretty special. 
you know, to be able to give that back. And those people haven't been affected by, for example, a line of duty tragedy or a significant injury. So with this particular family, if they do have continuing education needs, they can come to us and we'll make sure that they get put in that pool and we'll take care of them. People make donations to the 100 Club into, for example, or they can do it in a lot of different capacities. But if it's to our survivors program, all of the money that we receive in honor of, let's say, Officer Farr, goes into the Survivors Fund, and it cannot be used for anything except for to go back to our surviving family members. I can't even take a postage stamp from that money. It's completely restricted and protected to make sure that it's available to these family members going forward. Yeah. So in your conversation with me just then, you mentioned uh, injuries. Yes. Uh, and not always is it a fatality, and that and that is consistent with how you react, right? 100%. I actually, just prior to coming here today, I met with the Gilbert officer, uh, his spouse, who was involved in that same critical Mm. incident uh, that um, led to the line of duty death with Officer Farr. And I actually delivered uh, her first check to her and obviously to him as well and talk to them just briefly about how we are going to commit to seeing him through to his recovery. And we do support these injured officers on a monthly basis, as long as they're 100% out of work. We cover them all the way up to $18,000. And it's really a struggle, and I'm sure you've learned through this show, that people often get injured and they say, oh, yeah, you're part of the family. Don't worry, we, we're going to check on you. But there are those, it ebbs and flows. People yeah. aren't always able to get there, and they feel disconnected from the department. Then there's some mental health concerns and challenges when you go through these um, injury journeys. And we uh, really take pride in the fact that we are at least there every single month to support them through that process. Very good. Um, and, and this, I should have asked this earlier, but um, I'm guessing this implies to all agencies, all first responders across the board? Yes, every uh, we do state, city, local, tribal, federal, everyone that's based here in Arizona. Even the... Even the and corrections. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it's good. We're just, we have a pretty far reach. I mean, we're covering, what, let's 20,000 uh, first responders here in the state of Arizona at a minimum, and we are just honored to do it. And this is not a state... Funded uh, entity, so do, do, you, do. you you depend fully on uh, on people donate donating yeah. money and funds and however that comes to you. Absolutely, and you know that's the beauty is you know we live in, in a world right now of pretty much instant gratification. People can do things. I mean, you can Venmo money to people on your phone or whatever the mm-hmm. case is. You can go online, and but if there's more than one or two steps, it becomes challenging. And I get that <laughs> because people get distracted and they're like, "Oh, I was gonna do that," yeah. and then they didn't. But no, we have a lot of platforms, and you know one of the beautiful things with the social media is that you know people can do Facebook fundraisers to support someone injured or someone killed. They can obviously support through our website or text to give. Oh, there are all sorts of different options, but 100% we rely on donations from our community members. So I think I saw a number last last year, maybe 170-some thousand dollars was, was given out. But but it, you, you can't count on year to year because you, you don't know what's going to happen. And, and I'm sure with, uh, I want to talk about COVID here in a second, but I'm sure you have to plan ahead somehow, some way. You always have to have that that money available because you, you 
that is the struggle. Yeah, because mm-hmm. you, you, you can't determine when or where. Or, no, we can't. Yeah. And when and you mentioned the number 170, and that's probably just to one piece of our program. But last year, we actually gave away probably over $2 million oh, nice. um, to all different components, whether yeah. it is on the proactive side, and that is to maybe buy equipment that enhances their safety, or whether it is mental health and wellness support and trainings, or on the reactive side, you've got the injuries, the deaths, and and any um, other life-altering situations. So, you know, we you're absolutely right. I mean, we need this all of the time. We don't just need it when we lose an officer because we can't, you know, we sit down to budget for the next year, and like any organization or any business, and they say, okay, well, how many line-of-duty deaths do you think you'll Mm -hmm. have next year? And no one has a crystal ball, and we all just hope for zero. But we also know that that's not the case. And the same thing with the injury piece. You know, our our greatest fear is that we come into a significant um, multiple uh, department-related tragedy. So we had the Granite Mountain hotshot tragedy in 2013 here, which literally, (laughs) I mean, talk about writing checks into the red. Mm -hmm. But when significant tragedy happens, there is a significant community response. And that's a beautiful thing. Um, We just wish the tragedies didn't have to happen to Mm. fuel that. I know. So um, last year, as closely as you work with all law enforcement, all fire departments, you know, all of the all of the above for first responders, uh, I don't have to tell you the craziness of last year uh, peaked domestic violence. It Mm -hmm. peaked uh, so many law enforcement ways that we couldn't even, they couldn't even see coming, right? Oh, no one knew. Yeah. And uh, I've had several law enforcement entities into the studio for programs and, and uh, the head of DPS and, and um, actually, I've actually had two heads of DPS in here. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and, you know, it's, it's a constant, um, you know, they never know. It's COVID, but what happens next? They have to be prepared for whatever that whatever is coming any any time, whether it's economic uh, downturn or or it could be happening due to um, due to COVID. Uh, but this past year, it was just um, crazy. It really was. And it's not over. You know, I think uh, you know us as an organization, like many others. You know, we got this notification and we went home and thought we'd be home for maybe a week or two and we'd be back. Well, here we are, yeah, we <laughs> you know, are. a year later. And during that time, what is so fascinating about our contingency that we support here in Arizona is we had not only COVID, but we support a clientele that didn't get to work from home, right? Our firefighters don't get to sit in the house and, you know, take video calls of your of your current situation. It doesn't oh, work like that. Right. So they are out there with you in your home um, being affected personally by whether it's COVID or something else that's happening. And then our law enforcement officers also, they don't get to work from home either. They are out there every day. So they had a significantly high exposure rate and obviously being affected by it. And then we did lose. We did lose officers and correctional officers last year due to COVID. And that was so sad. And so we have that loss Um, on many levels related to COVID and those exposures. But then in the middle of it all, we have this incredible negative rhetoric Mm. that starts to spread throughout our nation. 
And that was devastating, not only to the officers primarily, but their families. So we had to figure out a way to make sure that we were able to institute some spousal support groups, um, deal with the fact that people were having bricks thrown through their front windows, which happened to be their kids' bedrooms just because Mm -hmm. they have a marked unit in the driveway. Mm -hmm. I mean, they really, really struggled. And they still do on many levels. But that's what we do. I mean, even in a pandemic, because we're like, how are we going to? How are we going to do what we do in a remote fashion? And the most alarming part, and when I look back at this past year and the most challenging part for us as an organization is we support so many on a monthly basis financially, especially those that are injured. What ends up happening is that we don't get to lay eyes on those people anymore. We now are mailing a check via snail mail or we're transferring it to them electronically and that is sad because these people are going through the most challenging times of their life coupled by covid and negative rhetoric and they're doing it alone and we don't even get to check on them you thrive on that one-on-one absolutely absolutely i'm sorry to say we're in our last two minutes of the program how did that happen (laughs) uh we have fun when we're uh having fun i love it i love it so um uh, it's just so good to have you here today, but and we're not quite done. Uh, what do you see coming? I mean, you can't predict the future, but because of last year and we're still in this COVID era, hopefully we're slowly starting to figure out things and go through it. What do you see co- uh, pa- pro in um, post-COVID? Any any difference than where you act right now? Probably. Right? Well, absolutely. I think that people were being affected by COVID and we were having some significant illness. However, now we're going to unfortunately probably have injuries tied to illness because they'll be out and about a little bit more. But what we realize is the mental health piece is so incredibly important. Mm. So we have shifted to doing bulletproof and fireproof, which are apps that support our public safety members so that they can get, you know, instant therapy or instant access to resources. Angela, thank you so much for being here today and God bless the hundred club. Thank you, sir. Thank you. You are a rescuer and rescuers radio show can be heard every Thursday at 5 30 PM at faith talk, 1360 and faith talk, 1360.com. Look for us anywhere. Just, Rescuers Radio Show, and you'll find all the podcasts. Rescuers, Thursdays at 5.30 Arizona time on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ AM.